0: Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. All right, so we're in a series on Proverbs, and it's Mother's Day. We're going to continue it, and I think you'll find it relevant because uh, we're going to talk about two things mothers are probably uh, experts at. Number one is giving advice, and number two, uh, small animals, small animals. I would imagine moms know about them very well. I know my mom did. I grew up in Florida. I mean, I I, I ruined the lives of more lizards than it is possible to describe, okay? Okay. we have been saying in this study of Proverbs that uh, wisdom is competence to deal with reality. And reality can be very, very harsh and very, very brutal. And even though you have maybe a very, very high IQ, you're a very smart person, you might be an academic person, this is not the kind of wisdom we're speaking of. You can be very smart, you're have a high IQ and not deal very well with reality. And we say that you have to, there's a spiritual element to this, We've so we've begun this series you have to know God because Solomon, who was, we said, the, maybe the second smartest person in the world behind Jesus, is, uh, says that very clear in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter one, where he says, look, I, I set out to be the smartest guy in the world. And he said, even though I got to know everything I could know about my reality, there were still twists and gaps. Those are the words he uses, twists and gaps that I couldn't fill in until I came to know God. I'll say the same to you. There is no ultimately coping with reality, competently dealing with reality without in. Uh, so we encounter another wise sage. Agur is his name, uh, another contributor to the Proverbs. And he is about to tell us that no matter, uh, no matter what the times are, no matter what the culture is, no matter what much progress we make, We are always making it. We are always getting smarter. There are certain qualities that we have to have as people, certain qualities, and he would call them basic survival instincts, basic survival instincts. Anybody in here ever seen uh, Naked and Afraid? Seen that show? Well, I've never watched it. I don't know if you want to admit it or not, but I mean, Dave has given me all the information that I need about this particular show. And uh, what uh, what happens in this show is these folks got to go into some really wild, harsh environment and figure out how to survive. And at the beginning of it, they're all given a survival rating. So they do this little background thing on them so you see each person. And all of them have s- some competencies that make them even, you know... Uh, eligible for something like this, and they rate them. And then at the end of it, they rate them as well to see how well they have actually dealt with reality. Okay, you've done some really great things, but now let's put that into practice and see if you can actually cope in in real life. And this is what I would say about most of us. Most of us in here, we would say, we believe in God, but here's the real survival instinct, the real survival quality that you could rate your life on now, and certainly at the end of your life, but what about now could you rate? Uh, You know, you might have some great skills, but do you actually use them in reality when the harsh time comes? Because some of these people are very confident when they go into this, into some desert or swamp or forest, or it's crazy. Um, They're very confident. And then you watch, you know, it's a 21-day period, And many of the ones that are most confident can't make it. It could be physical, emotional, it could be anything. So I'm going to ask you today to assess your survival instincts. Give yourself a rating after we've seen these four qualities that Agar is about to give us. They come from Proverbs chapter 30. And uh, we find these things oddly enough, in animals. He says, four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are not a strong folk, not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. The badgers are not mighty people. They make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. The lizard you can grasp with your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. So, Uh, What does he mean? Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24 says, there's things that are very small, four things, and they are exceedingly wise. It's an important word in Proverbs in this text here, exceedingly wise. It means that these creatures are masters. It's ingrained in them. And the wise person is looking right out at creation to find these instinctive qualities in these creatures ought to be true in human beings. It's as if God's given us real life object lessons for qualities that ought to be in our life. In fact, Job, chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, he's very frustrated with his friends who are giving him advice. And he is uh, beside himself because they misunderstand some things about life. And he says, how in the world do you not know this? Animals know this. And so there there is a teaching tool here within wisdom literature to suggest, sometimes as smart as we can be, We're not even as bright as a tiny little creature. Well, that word exceedingly means masters. It's ingrained in them. They're masters at these at wisdom, some quality of life. So these four creatures, these little here's here's essentially what you've got. You've got tiny, powerless little creatures that this writer is saying, if you can find their feet, sit at it and learn something from them. These four creatures. Okay, you got the ant, the rock badger, the locust, and the lizard. Size and brute strength are not how one survives in God's world. Size and brute strength are not how you survive. You can't muscle your way or force your way through reality. And we're going to see that in these qualities. We're going to see four of them. Number one, industry. Uh, Number two, security. Number three, community. And number four, ingenuity those four qualities. Uh, the first survival instinct is industry, and we learn it from the ant in verse 25. It says, the ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. So what survival instinct should we have as humans, we learn from the ant? Well, uh, this is the harvest ant. It was the most prevalent among uh, the Palestinians in the Palestine area. Uh, he compares them to people, so he's suggesting that we, you know, com- ants compared to humans, very, very weak in comparison. But human beings, as strong as they are, sometimes feel like uh, they can, because they're so much bigger and so much more powerful, they, they deceive themselves into thinking they can approach life different than the ant. And this writer is saying, you better, and he does it numerous times throughout Proverbs, you better go to Ant Academy. And learn something really important from these animals. Because he steps outside one winter and he notices the bears are asleep. And he notices the birds have flown south. And hungry deer are chewing bark off the trees. And he says, Where are the ants? And it turns out they're underground partying. They're munching down on stuff. That's where they're at. It's an underground party. So, here's the question. For the first one. Are you prepared to party in winter? That would be the first one. Uh, If not, Ant Academy is for you. Here's the two things ants do they look ahead far enough to know winter is coming. They're realists, these ants. Um, They look at their life now and then, they stop and they go, What's ahead of us? You might be about to get married, you might be about to have kids, you might. Uh, you, you might be ready to retire. You might about have an empty nest. You might be about to have a teenager. Okay? You, are you ready? Have you made plans? Because that's what they do. They sort of begin with the end in mind. There's a, there's a principle here that's really important. Some, most of the big stuff in life is pretty seasonal. A lot of the things we face in life are seasonal they're coming. You'll get there eventually. And yet many of us, when we arrive, are not ready for it. And so the writer of Proverbs scratching his head. Well, Didn't you see it coming? You didn't make any moves to make it happen. There's a rhythm to life. Hey, you know what? You're going to die. Are you ready for that? Is your home ready for that? Is your life ready for that? Are you ready for that? Spiritually, physically, monetarily, Lots of factors. You could be preparing for those things. So that's what they do. Now, a lot of times um, we look ahead and we think to ourselves, well, man, that's too far. Or it's impossible to be ready for that. And so we think it ought to be easy and we're frustrated. A lot of people walk around frustrated and they're kind of miserable people because most of them think success is impossible to ever reach. They're those kinds of people. We'll never get there. We're we're, we're never going to happen. Those kind of people. And then there's other kind of people who think it's just mystical. Hey, I'm just, oh, many of us are looking at the future and we're going, man, I really hope something good happens. Like I get a, you know, a windfall or I find the golden key or a magic potion. And that is not how life works. And that's not how ants view life. They know winter's coming. The second thing about ants that's really important is they do not play around in the summer. They don't mess around in summer because they know winter's coming. They know there's work to be done in summer and they got to get it done. So while you're at the picnic and you're eating that big old fat juicy burger, chilling out, throwing the frisbee, playing wiffle ball, they're carrying your chips away one little piece at a time. <laughs> one little piece at a time they're carrying your chips away. All right? You flick them off, they'll be right back. And it doesn't sway them whatsoever. They don't play in the summer. Here's the thing about ants. Number one, that they know. There are regular daily routines that never ever in themselves seem significant in a day. But when you add them up over the course of many days, they mean a lot. They have a huge impact. And see, many of us, many of us, are the kinds of people that if we can't do it all now, we bail. We don't know how to approach things. I was reading Simon Sinek. He's a great leadership writer, uh, written a couple books that I've really enjoyed. And um, I was listening to him give a talk, and he was talking about the millennials. He was, he was very positive because he's one of these guys who got a lot of empathy for the millennials and what they're dealing with in life. But he did say that one of the things that millennials are so used to, they're so used to coming in a world of of instant gratification, you know, where we stream and we binge. I mean, you haven't seen a commercial in God knows how long, right? You stream, you binge, you do all these things and everything you get is fast. Everything is with a swipe of the hand and a button. Relationships and everything. And he says, it's as if they've come to a mountain and stood at the bottom of it and looked up and seen what they want. But many times as they get out into the real world, uh, they actually, he says they don't see the mountain there's a big massive immovable object and it doesn't dawn on them sometimes that it's gonna take massive work to get there and there's no other way around it you've got to account for the mountain you got to take one step at a time and account for the mountain they don't sometimes they don't do that well that's true of all of us at some time Uh, and here's the thing I thought was really profound Um, ants choose the important things over the urgent things. That's essentially what discipline is. That's essentially what discipline is. You just choose the important thing over the urgent thing. Uh, Most of life, you can't cram for it. The biggest things in life you can't cram for. You can't learn them in a day. You can't learn them in a week. You can't save enough for them. So here's the beautiful thing about the ant that I've reflected on this week that's hard for me is it's hard for me to see ants see the value in just a little bitty piece, a little piece. So Most of us either, well, we want a lot now or we want none because a little bit doesn't, doesn't really do that much for us. The ants value a little bit. They value a little study every day. They value a quiet time every day, even if it's 10 minutes long. I've got to spend some time with God. It seems a little. If I I don't have an hour, I'm not even going to give them 10 minutes. That's how we are. If I don't have $5,000 a month to save, I can't save $25. That seems ridiculous. The ants do what they can in little pieces. They're not intimidated by that. A little bit at a time makes them just happy enough because they know that over time, it will serve them well. Proverbs 13, 4 says this. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You'll come to a point, and many many of you might be there now, frustrated by something you didn't invest in. It might be your marriage. But name it. Every day, got to do something, even if it's little. That's the ant. Even so, if you have the brains of an ant, you'll do the little things every day that matter the most. Second survival instinct is security. This we learned from the coney, often referred to as the uh, the rock rabbit. This is what it says, the rock badgers are a people not mighty, they're not strong, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. This little creature is very, very lovable. Uh, They actually provide a very, very tasty morsel for most things in the wild. I mean, almost everything is their enemy. If it crawls, if it walks, if it flies, it'll get a hold of these things here. So they're smart. They've got these interesting feet with pads on them sort of form as suction cups. And so they hang out on rocks, rocks too steep for anything else to be on. And they know how to find the crevice of a rock to hide in. Because as one commentator said, if they get too far away from the rock, a coney becomes a meal. And conies know that they're cute and tasty. They know it. They are vulnerable, so they don't get too far away from the rock otherwise They're dead meat. So here's the second question first one uh, Are you prepared to party in winter the second one is um, Have you figured out your ultimate source of security? Now listen you'll mess with this all your life because as human beings we get distracted very easily and we leave the rock We leave the rock and on any given day, you and I will find our security in anything. It could be our looks today. It could be, it could be our bank account. It could be you're finding security in um, maybe it's something you do well that people praise you for. It could be an accomplishment. It could, it could be literally anything. We're so fickle. We'll find security and significance in anything on a given day. And the rock badgers, they don't have the luxury. And human, you know, and reality's harsh. It isn't long before, no matter what it is you trust in, if it isn't God, it'll begin to fade. it will feel like an earthquake under your feet. When anything that you really value, you start to lose it, it'll feel like an earthquake's happening under your feet. And there's no stability there because you didn't hide in the rock. God was not your ultimate security. Listen to uh, Psalms. I probably ought to read it. Psalm sixty one says this, "Uh, Hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to thee, when my heart is faint. Let me lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been my refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. I take refuge in the shelter of thy wings. So is God your rock? Is he your rock? I have a, uh, a guy that I love to, to read, and um, he said that when he prays, if he's reading a psalm and he comes to an image like this God is your rock, what do you do with that? An image like this. He says that when he prays, he actually visualizes himself crawling into the crevice of this rock and hiding himself there. And he pictures himself in the midst of whatever's going on around him, in the strength of that rock and in the protection of that rock. And he just hides there and says, it's an opportunity for me to just trust God and, and disconnect from whatever it is I was putting so much value in. That's either wearing me out or wearing me down. And he trusts God. You'll get distracted and you'll run off that rock You'll get big for your britches and you'll run off that rock. And some of you right now need to be hightailing it back. Proverbs 18.10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous man runs into it and he's safe. And right now, some of us need to be hightailing it back to that rock we left. If you have the brains of a rock badger, you'll stay close to that rock. Third survival instinct is community. I don't know a better word to use. I know that one's overused and the brain might shut off when you hear it. Uh, but we learned this from the locusts. So let me see if I can help encourage you with this one. It says, the locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. This is a profound little statement. Because if, uh, if you don't have a leader, somebody constantly telling you what you ought to do, most of us will have anarchy. We'll all do what we want to do and that'll create all kinds of havoc. It's very hard to get unity out of human beings if they don't have a leader. But not with locusts. They don't need anyone telling them that they need to be in community, that that life is better uh, together than apart. They don't need anyone doing that. They don't need anyone telling them. A grasshopper by itself is unintimidating. You catch it, and hold in your hand, kill it. But if you've got a swarm of them, you're in trouble. You know, Israel, back in the, in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, any, you'll see, all God had to do to get Israel back to repent, to get them to repent from sin, was just tell them, all right, I'm sending the locust. Because <laughs> it was the most feared, literally, the most feared creature in the Middle East in that time. Because they were, you know what they were called in the Old Testament? Devourers. Devourers. Because if you get a swarm of them, we had one in the 19th century. In, in, in the 19, toward the end of the 19th century? I was reading about it this week in the Plain States. 120 billion of them went through, carved a road 100 miles wide, did $200 million worth of damage in seven days, in a week's time. They've been known to go right over cattle as a swarm and eat the leather right off a bridle. Devastating creatures. Alone? Can't do anything. But together, and they don't need anyone to remind them that together we're better. That's community. Can't do life alone. There's some of you in here who fight this. You're fine. You don't need deep, meaningful relationships. You don't need people in your life spiritually encouraging you. And you just slowly but surely get brittle over time. And it's happening. You don't even know the ways you're unhealthy because you don't have other people in your life because you're not willing to surrender your life to other people because you're not willing to just invest in other people and quit asking what you're going to get in return. That's not how community works. And locusts know it. We said, community, your relationship with God, your spiritual life is personal, but is never individual. Never individual. And if you're still trying to do life by yourself, and you admit, you say, "I, I truly don't have any true, deep, meaningful relationships in my life. That means there's a whole part of you that's not regularly exercised in giving to others, caring about others, loving others. There's a whole part of you dying. It's not just about what you can receive. Two are better than one, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. And that's just the facts. I, uh, in fact, Proverbs 18.1 says this. It's one of my favorites. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. You're just self-centered. If you can't hang with the community, if you can't surrender to a community, he breaks out against all sound judgment. It's like he just has decided to be alone and get away from everything wise, if he does that. I was, uh, I I love doing this, but um, I I was, I learned, you know, anything I can hear about a Navy SEAL, like if I hear a story or I read something, somebody brings up a Navy SEAL, I mean, we love Navy SEALs. There ain't a guy in here who doesn't think to himself, I wonder if I could be a Navy SEAL. And I'm going to tell you, the answer is No. I'm going to tell you. Just so you go home, you say, on Mother's Day, I got the answer to a question that I've been fighting with all my life. All right? It's no. All right? Because these people are freaks. Well, if you ask a seal, and I've read this this week. I actually listened to somebody say it. If we, um, he said, uh, asked a seal one time. What does it take to be a seal? Who makes it as a seal? And he said, well, I, he said, I can actually say this to you. I can't tell you who doesn't make uh, I can tell you who doesn't make it. I can't tell you who makes it. I can tell you who doesn't make it. I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear this. And he says, "Give the muscle-bound guy who barges into, you know, training, thinking he's all that and strong and powerful. That guy almost never makes it. He said the other guy that never makes it is the star college athlete who was all that, but he never got real really tested to the core of his being. That guy never makes it. The guy that comes in has got a bark commands, thinks he's in control and smarter than everybody and needs to dominate people. That guy never makes it. He said, I'll tell you the guy that makes it. And a lot of times he said, You'll see a seal who's who's thin. They don't look like they're they don't look physically intimidating. Kinda of what our proverbs are talking about you go man that guy's a seal he said what'll happen is you'll see him in the water to be one of the last nights and they'll be freezing to death in cold water and they've been in there for hours and their body's a different color and their jaw hurts so bad from shivering and he says they have had to reach down to a level a, a place in their soul very 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 few people even know exists in them and when they get there They literally have this ability, he said. They have the ability to look to the guy next to him and motivate him. They care about that. Look, it gives me chills. That guy next to him is who they care about. When you can get to a place where you are not the sole center of your world, someone else is, other people are. It's not about what you get, it's about what you give. You become something special. And if you got the brains of a locust, you'll know that. Our last survival instinct is ingenuity. It's probably my favorite, although I will tell you that over the years, I've wrestled with it the most, trying to figure out what it is about the lizard that we need to know. Um but here's what it says. The lizard you can take in your hands, and yet it is in king's palaces. What's he saying by this lizard? Uh, so there's these small, unattractive. I grew up with them. And, you know, you see them around here, but I grew up in Florida they're everywhere. Uh, they're just a part of life. And here's this, this little small, unattractive creature you can hold in your hand uh, that um, enjoys luxurious settings. I mean, you can find them in the most special places. If you've ever been to exotic places, you see them. What is it about them? And I'll tell you something about the palace. And here's what you got to know in order to understand how the lizard... you got to understand something about the king's palace. What was it about the king's palace that lizards could be there? Well, the king's palace, they have 30-foot walls around it. If you think about Solomon or you think about... Uh, just think about any king in the, in the Old Testament. They have this incredible 30... 30- Walls that were incredibly high, 30 feet across, uh, impenetrable. They had guards everywhere. These things were monitored. Uh, never in like Judah, the southern kingdom, never was a king ever assassinated. No one could ever get through the walls. Nobody could ever get to them. The king, to get to the king took in, it wasn't easy. Armies couldn't do it. That's the point, because they're so well protected. And so with all of that, unable to get to a king, Solomon could look down at his feet and see a lizard. You're like, hey, little boy, how'd you get it? That's your question. When you read that, how'd you get in here? How did you get in here? You got a lizard in your house right now, I bet. I got them in my house, and they're enjoying all the AC and all the stuff we got. Like, I didn't let you in, you didn't earn it, nothing. It's like a kid. Like a kid. Like having a kid in there. Sheesh. So, what is this proverb saying? What is it saying? Well, I got to show you two other proverbs for, to really hit you, and we'll just do it quick, and we'll, be, we'll wrap this up. what he says A wise man scales the city of the mighty. So, he's, a wise man is the lizard, scales the city of the mighty. And he brings down the stronghold in which they trust. This is a great verse. A wise man. Because the city was such a picture of protection and strength. A wise man knows how the word idea for scales is the idea for attack. If you were scaling city walls, you were attacking it. So the principle here is how do you attack evil? How how do you overcome wicked people? How do you do that? How do you overcome evil? And it's with good what Proverbs will teach us. That's what they do. So they, uh, they find victory, single-handed victory. Listen, they're saying that an army can't get in here, but one wise guy can do it. How does he do that? Well, our second proverb will help us a little bit more. So they going to give us one window into this guy's world. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He's literally saying, Give me one man, one man, one woman who is in control, who's temperate, in control of themselves. Know how to say no to themselves. Know how to not speak when they shouldn't. Know how to hold their tongue. Know how to choose the right thing and do the right thing in a moment. They have that kind of instinctive reflex. To choose the right thing in a moment makes them mightier than an entire army. And if you have that kind of character, you'll end up places in your life people without character will never end up. That's the lizard. Because of your character. It won't be because of your brute strength. It won't necessarily be because of your IQ. Your character will take you places nothing else will. Just give me a man, a woman that I can trust. Even when no one's looking, it's that kind of character. It's this innate kind of character. And you say the lizard has this instinct to do the right thing, even when everything else around it, that's how they overcome evil. I love this quality in this thing, because it's a special virtue. So you say, what are we learning from the lizard? You figured out the real power of character and integrity and self-leadership. Because you got to lead a lot of things. Can you lead yourself well? Because if you can, you're greater than an army. Now, what is he saying about this? These instinctive reflexes that we're describing of character in the lizard, they know how to choose the, right, the high road and do the right thing in the middle of a crisis. And that's how they win battles. They don't win battles by powering up with people. Okay, so many of us, rather than living by character, we live by mottos. You fight fire with fire. You do it to me, I'm going to do it with you. You want to power up, I'll power up, I'll be as equally powerful as you are. That's not how the lizard, that's not his instinct. Oh, you want to play that game? Oh, I can play that game too. Which one of us hasn't said that? See, that's you being lured by whatever's going on in your world to play the games that the world and culture play. The lizard lives by instincts that are given to him by God. And even when he's going to seem weak, and even when he doesn't get to be the powerful one, he still knows how to control his anger. He still knows how to say the right word at the right time. He still knows how to choose the right thing. He's instinct. He instinctively chooses right over wrong. Dallas Willard, my favorite author, made a comment that I read or had read years ago. It's always stuck with me. He said, "So many of us have an arsenal." Of Evil things that we choose from in the course of a day and we stand ready to grab from that arsenal anything we need to get through the day Oh, you aggravate me. I got something for you, baby. Oh I'm gonna have to cheat a little bit here. Oh, I got something for that, too And oh, I got to be a little harsh here. (laughs) I know how to do that and we stand ready as if we think to ourselves the only way to get through a day is to do something evil. I wonder how many of us approach our day like that and we stand ready to choose something evil or sinful to get us through a day. As opposed to thinking like the lizard who instinctively chooses the right thing even when the circumstances just seem, you just outnumbered and overwhelmed and you'll never get what you want the lizard teaches us, character goes a whole lot further It will take you a whole lot further. That's why I called this ingenuity, because that word didn't come around until the late 1600s. And when you look up the definition, its original definition is this, innate virtue. Innate virtue. It's just in there. And when this guy's in a crisis, this woman's in a crisis, that's what they choose. It's their reflex to love. It's their reflex to choose the right thing. It's their reflex, to be honest. It's their reflex. And that's why they describe it this way. And here's the best way to say it, and I'll close with this. This is basically it. The lizard doesn't trust in the world's ways to get through life. Yes, armies surround cities. I get it. That's logical. That's what you do. I'm a lizard. That's not how I do life. I don't rely on the world's ways of doing things. I don't care if it's social media. I don't care if it's moral. I don't care if it's got to do with integrity or relationships. The world operates one way. I instinctively operate the way God wants me to. And it saves me from lots of trouble. It only takes the brains of a lizard to figure that out. Wow. My wife mentioned a great verse at the beginning of this worship time. We hadn't even talked. she didn't even think about it. What does Paul say in Second Corinthians 12? When I'm powerless, when I am weak, that's when I'm powerful. And see, in all these little things here, every one of these creatures realized they're weak. And they realize that God's wisdom is smarter than, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, I will devastate the wisdom of the wise. He says, Where's the wise man? Where's the philosopher? I will devastate his wisdom. They're not smart enough. And that's why God used the cross, and that's what Paul's argument is. The cross becomes God's wisdom to the world. It, became fo- it looked foolish to the world. That's Paul's entire argument. The cross looked foolish to the world. Paul says that was God's wisdom in saving human beings, judging sin and loving sinners all at the same time. No human could have come up with it. The wisest person in this room has to realize that sometimes you've got to look foolish because that's what the cross does. That's why in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, become foolish so that you might be wise. What does that mean? It means you let the cross, which looks foolish to the world, character, which looks foolish to the world, community sometimes looks foolish to the world, ingenuity, Security, where you run to for security looks foolish to the world. Sometimes your industry, what you focus on in your life and discipline, different than the world. It looks foolish sometimes what the believer lives like. Become a fool in order to be wise. In order to be saved, you have to become a fool. You got to give up your own smarts and live the way God would have you live saved the way God would save you and not the way you would save him. Trust in what Jesus did and not what you do. It takes great wisdom. Put you bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your word. We're overwhelmed by it every, every time we look at it. I pray that these qualities, Lord, which are instinctive to these creatures, obvious and sort of clear illustrations of how to live life. But the truth is, as humans, we find these, many of these, sometimes all of these, to be extremely difficult. And we've got to be so humble to be this smart. We've got to be so small to be this smart, so weak to be this smart. We thank you for Jesus, who showed us that there's power in weakness, incredible power in weakness, to approach life this way, it's the only ultimate way to not only be in relationship with you, in, in cahoots with you, working with you. It's the only way to overcome evil in the world. Ingrain that into us, Lord. Let us be masters of these qualities. In Jesus' name, Amen.